Section 6 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 7, February 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Geographic Literature The Yellowstone National Park, Historical and Descriptive Illustrated with Maps, Views, and Portraits by Hiram Martin Chittenden, Captain, Corps of Engineers, USA, 397 pages, Cincinnati, the Robert Clark Company, 1895, $1.50 net. This book comprises three parts, Historical, Description, and The Future. The first contains an excellent summary of the early trapper's tales regarding this region, showing, as is well known, that they were not unacquainted with its marvels. It recounts the Washburn and Hayden expeditions, the legislation establishing the national park, and the numerous army expeditions which, for exploration or pleasure, have traversed it. It summarizes also the administration of the park. The second part describes rather inadequately the topography, geology, fauna, and flora of the region, and then, in the ordinary guidebook form, describes a tour of the park. The third part, which is very brief, only 18 pages in length, is devoted mainly to restating the well-known arguments against permitting the entrance of railroads. The book closes with a series of appendices comprising a list of geographic names, with their origin, the legislation affecting the park and rules for its administration, a statement of appropriations for its maintenance, a list of its superintendents, and a bibliography. It is difficult to place this book. It ranks far above the ordinary guidebook, yet, as a history, its value is lessened by the military bias of the writer, and, as a geographic work, descriptive of this interesting region, it may be characterized by the statement that only fourteen pages are devoted to its geography and geology, thirteen to geysers and hot springs, and eleven to the native life of the region. The book is profusely illustrated with beautiful cuts and contains several maps, but the latter are not in keeping with the typography and with the other illustrations. Sixteenth Annual Report of the United States Geological Survey, Part 3, Mineral Resources of the United States, 1894, Metallic Products, 646 pages, Washington, 1895. It is not easy to recognize in the handsome royal octavo volume before us the mineral report of the geological survey which has hitherto appeared in so much less attractive a form. Although Dr. Day's reports no longer constitute a series by themselves, they cannot be said to have lost even in individuality, for the new volume is so profusely illustrated with maps and diagrams, and is in almost every other respect so distinctly superior to its predecessors, as not only to add greatly to its practical value, but to place it in the very front rank of those admirable publications with which the United States government enriches from time to time the scientific literature of the world. The report contains statistics of the production of the various metallic minerals, those of the non-metallic are to follow in a separate volume, in the different states of the Union, but it does more than this. It presents like statistics, in many cases extending over a long series of years, for other countries, together with tables of exports and imports. In addition to these statistical compilations, it contains several hundred pages of interesting and instructive text on the geographic distribution of the mineral resources of the world, 
in the preparation of which several eminent experts have been specially employed. The volume is, in short, a veritable mine of valuable information concerning some of the most important branches of human industry. Terrestrial Magnetism, an International Quarterly Journal, published under the auspices of the Ryerson Physical Laboratory, A. A. Mitchelson, Director, Chicago University Press, Volume 1, Number 1, January 1896, edited by L. A. Bauer, with the cooperation of a large number of American and foreign associates. The compass is a very old invention, the discovery of its north and south pointing property having been made by the Chinese centuries ago. It is more than four centuries since it received a fixed place in navigation under the name Mariner's Compass. That it does not point truly north and south, but departs or declines from the meridian, was known in Columbus's day. At that time it was supposed that the departure from true north, or declination of the needle, was constant for any one place, though not the same in all places. That it is not always the same at any one place is said to have been discovered by Columbus, so that the variation of the variation is a discovery four centuries old. That the needle is free to move in any direction would not hang level, but that one end would decline or dip below the horizon is also an old discovery, having been discovered by George Hartman in 1544. And lastly, that the force that acts upon the needle to make it point north and south is not the same in all places has been long known. The true cause of the behavior of a compass needle has been a field for speculation and study ever since its peculiar behavior was observed, and a few students had up to the time of Gauss proposed and laboriously worked out ingenious theories to explain the phenomena observed. The publication of Gauss's great work in 1838, however, marked a great advance and gave a new and powerful impulse to the subject. The magnetic union, formed in the third decade of the present century, chiefly owing to the researches of Gauss, caused the establishment in various parts of the world of magnetic observatories founded and maintained by various governments. Of those so founded in the forties, several have maintained a series of almost uninterrupted observations to this day. This period of sixty years has seen progress in our knowledge of terrestrial magnetism, but without any epoch-marking event. A vast number of observations have been accumulated, the twenty-four constants in Gauss's fundamental formula have been more accurately determined, and a number of minor phenomena observed and explained. But the subject is far from being exhausted. The modern applications of electricity to practical affairs is not without its effect upon the subject of terrestrial magnetism. Is not the journal before us, then, to mark a new epoch in our knowledge of this subject? It seems strange that when almost every other branch of science has long had its special journal or organ, we should have waited almost for the dawn of the twentieth century for the first number of the first journal devoted to a matter of such great practical moment and for four centuries known by all civilized men to be important. We welcome this journal, then, as a needed one, rightly conceived and giving promise of usefulness. It enters, and enters under favorable auspices, a field not hitherto occupied by any scientific journal. The names of the editors, the laboratory, and university from which it comes, all combine to promise excellent results. It will be strange indeed if distinct gains in human knowledge do not result from this enterprise. 
The editor, Dr. Bauer, though a young man, is a most enthusiastic student in his chosen field. After several years of service in the United States Coast and Geodetic Survey, devoted chiefly to magnetic computation, he went to Europe and devoted his energies to magnetic studies. His doctor's degree was obtained last year as the outcome of these studies. To him, more than to any other, belongs the credit of founding the first journal given wholly to the subject of terrestrial magnetism, and patriotic Americans will perhaps derive some satisfaction from the fact that the journal was founded in the United States. To the editor and his associates, and to the University of Chicago, we tender our congratulations and hope for them a large measure of success. End of section 6